This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. A, 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 a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. Touchdown, Giants! From the offseason through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one Giants Giant step. step. Game week on One Giant Step. Sean Morash, Paul Dettino with you. We're taping this on a Thursday morning. In fact, one morning earlier than maybe we anticipated with the G-Men on Monday night versus the Dallas Cowboys, America's Darlings, after winning a game with Cooper Rush. How cute that was for the Dallas Cowboys Sunday versus the Cincinnati Bengals. But our 2-0 Giants are ready for a whiteout at home versus the Dallas Cowboys. Paul, hello. How are you? Good morning, Sean. Uh, just another day here in North Jersey, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, for me, Long Island, the city, I, you know, Jersey really only takes a giant game for me to get over there. Otherwise, I leave that to you. Uh, all right. So we have all of our normal game preview stuff to get to. And full disclosure, you are you may listen to this on a Friday. Maybe it's your drive home. You're getting ready for Monday Night Football. Maybe it's, you're popping around mowing along this weekend. Thank you for listening and subscribing anywhere. Podcasts are downloadable. We do not have the official injury report at the time of recording this we're going to go on a lot of assumptions based on what we know as of thursday morning the reason that we don't and the reason that we are recording this is we had one giant step of news and that was kenny galladay speaking with reporters on wednesday so let's start here with kenny galladay he had some comments that i think that are obviously going to be a little bit of a lightning rod of attraction and and clearly questions that were asked that were asked with the purpose of Ooh, what's Kenny Galladay going to say. And I think that in the end, Kenny Galladay to me spoke a lot of truths and things that I would think in reality, a coaching staff actually would want to hear. He does want to play. He's not happy sitting on the bench. He's not happy. You know, if you want a guy to be hungry, and make the money, you want him to want to play. So let's just start right there. There was only one comment that really rubbed me the wrong way with Kenny. And we'll get that in a second, but overall, I didn't really hate anything that Kenny Galladay actually tangibly had to say from a hunger perspective. Yeah, I would agree with you, Sean. I mean, the guy comes here as a very high-profile free agent. Of course, it was under the previous administration, and they brought him in, expected him to be that X receiver who could put up 1,000 yards like he did twice with Detroit. Instead, he fights through four injuries last year. The passing game just goes into the tank, And, of course, he winds up not even catching a touchdown pass. And it's a forgettable season to be very kind, not just for the offense, but for Kenny Galladay in particular. 
Yeah, and and the one comment that rubbed me the wrong way, and we could get into why it was a forgettable season. I don't think all of this is solely on Kenny Galladay. This could be the worst fit ever, uh, or at least it definitely wasn't a Garrett's offense. And by the way, Galladay looked good through the first six weeks last year, and then really nothing on that offense looked well. But whether it's Galladay coming off you know, the hip problems this year, just looking slower, I don't like, and I've gone back and I've now listened to the comments in full context multiple times. The word regardless, I think, is the word where Kenny Galladay got himself in trouble, at least even with the giant fan base. I should be playing regardless because when you are a team that is 2-0 and and you have a head coach and a coaching staff that is establishing a team identity and you know basically doesn't care what your contract is, where you were drafted, especially if they weren't on top of you with Joe Shane and Dable, they didn't make that move. When you hear the words, I should be playing regardless while the team is winning football games, I think that's a rough word to use, Paul. I, I think that's where Kenny gets himself in, in trouble. I actually agree with you. I think that was a very poor choice of, of uh, semantics by him. He should be saying, I think I should play every week. I think I should be getting my share of targets right. and catches. I think um, I think I'm better in better in this league than I'm giving you know credit for that kind of right, exactly. I mean, look at his resume. He's proven a lot in this league. So so I have absolutely no issue with his feelings. But when he threw the word regardless in there, that tends to get a little sticky for me, too. And that, that's because you're looking at a team that, for whatever reasons, the coaching staff has decided to use the mixture of receivers in the way that they have. They have come out of the first two games at 2-0. and When you say the word regardless, that means you're not paying any attention to the big picture, the team's right. record, or the results that they've been able to achieve. And, and that comes off, that one word just comes off as selfish. Now, in Kenny's defense, that comment didn't come until the back end of his media session. Right. After he was poked, prod, had a couple of forks figuratively stuck into his stomach and his kidneys until right. finally you could see his frustration was boiling over. And I don't think he really, I don't think he really felt like he could say anything else that 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 would appropriately describe his feelings or at least get the the bees away from his hive in front of his locker. Yeah, and you know, there should be a couple things to clean up here when it comes to Kenny Galladay and the relationship with the coaching staff and everything that goes into it. Number 1, I found something really interesting um when the old the, did you see the captain documentary? Obviously, it was the quotes about Dable playing that for the team. Did you see that with Derek? No, Jeter? I did not. Okay, so in that documentary, there's a scene, and and Dable's now been known to have shown this to the team in training camp, where David Wells kind of mumbles and gets mad, and we know the story now, right? Derek Jeter says we don't do that bleep around here, and it was kind of a big story. And Dable played that for the team, showing this is about team, this is what it is. Brian Dable clearly liked aspects of that documentary and respected Derek Jeter enough to think that that was important to show the team. Watching that whole documentary, something stuck out with me now to relate it to this Kenny Galladay situation. There's a moment at the end of Jeter's career where reporters are suggesting that Jeter should have, you know, told uh, whoever it was, Joe Girardi at the time, slide me down in the order. I get it. I'm not helping the team. And Jeter goes on camera and he says, now what kind of bleep is that? Why would I tell you I don't even believe in myself? If you want to pull me, you make the decision. I'm not going to go to you with that. And I, right. I say that. I say that because I think that there's a lot of people right now that are saying, well, boy, how is Brian Dable going to take Kenny Galladay's comments? Is this only going to dig Galladay a deeper hole? And what's next? Well, Paul, I think Galladay is doing – I hate comparing Kenny Galladay to Derek Jeter. A lot of that. 
Why would Kenny Galladay not be saying he should be playing regardless? Why would he admit that he's not the same player if he isn't the same player? Why would he not believe in himself and put in the work? So I really think if it comes down to it, and Brian Dable has a problem with Kenny Galladay's comments yesterday, I think that's on Brian Dable. Number one, you know that he's going to get asked as an expensive player why you know he's saying those things. Number two, isn't this what you want? You want a player to want to play. Like To me, that is... That is the Brian Dable staple. So I hope that this doesn't lead to further friction with the coaching staff based on the comments alone. Yeah, I don't know or will not, but I'll throw out a hypothetical for you if you like, Sean. And and okay. maybe, just maybe, and again, I don't know this, and I, I like to tell people the smartest people in the world know what they don't know. Uh, maybe the Giants – we're looking at King Holiday and said, you know what? We think we can get more out of him. Maybe they do need to light a fire under him and maybe playing him only two snaps and making him virtually a healthy scratch would bring out even more in him at practice than they have seen. And if I'm Brian Dable, maybe I'm really happy to see the response from Kenny Galladay, seeing My that thing. he's frustrated, he's peeved, and maybe – that's exactly the temperature that I want out of him because I will tell you yesterday he had a really good practice for whatever yeah. that's worth. I was reading the tweets and I did have to laugh, you know, when he's basically hustling, running into a water cooler with Darnay Holmes and everything. It's funny that those are the tweets we now see from practice as fans, but you're right. Look, I would say this. We talked about how, how much you and I went back and forth to Kadarius Tony not practicing enough. And that's why his workload was so limited in week one. And we saw it increase in week two. Right. The one thing apparently clear is that Kenny Galladay is practicing. He is there every day. You know, he reportedly did catch basically the most amount of catches in training camp. So it does feel a little alarming that his snap count went down that much. That tells me the coaching staff really just, hey, he might be doing the right things in practice. We just actually don't think he's good enough. And if he's really not good enough at this stage, we're going to look back at this as maybe the worst free agent signing in giant history. But I don't know. Like to me, I might be a homer. I might be out of line, but early last year, there were moments, and they were few and far between, when Kenny Galladay finally got the ball, where he looked like that alpha dog number one wide receiver, catching a slant. He just looked different than the other guys on the field. You mean to tell me all that's been lost in one year, all of it, and that he can't figure out a nice role in this Brian Dable, Mike Kafka offense? I, I, I'm struggling with that, Paul. Oh, that's why he used the word confused more than once today when he talked to the media, because he apparently is confused by this as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that we're confused by it. Look, there, there's always the possibility that, A, because of the electronics and the, the uh, specific data collection that they're doing in practice, maybe Kenny Galladay's athleticism isn't what it was last year or in previous seasons. That's possible. If the data shows that, then maybe there's a reason for the coaching staff to decide, well, maybe he's not as valuable as he once was. That could be part of it. Of course, we never have access to the data. So I, I'm not going to necessarily tell you that's the reason. I'm simply going to say maybe it's a possibility. And I think the other thing that we have to also keep in mind is that Dable to this point has been very transparent in everything that he believes from a schematics perspective. He has put a tremendous amount of emphasis, as has Mike Kafka, the OC, on having all of the receivers playing all three spots, the X, the Y, and the Z. Right Now, as far back as I can tell you, in my memory going back to the spring and through the summer, Kenny Galladay is strictly an X. 
Yeah. He does not play the Y and the Z. So there may be, there may be, again, hypothetical, there may be a legitimacy to the fact that on a particular matchup, in a particular game plan, on a particular week, they want to have more versatile receivers on the field for the bulk of the game, and a guy who's simply just going to play X to them is less valuable on that particular weekend. Maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know, Sean. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that's an excuse, but could it be a reason? Maybe. It, it, it could be. I don't disagree. The only thing I would say is if you were playing like Devontae Adams or insert great X receiver here, and that was your only role as an X receiver, you would be on the field, right? Well, because you're down. talking about someone who's elite, and right. maybe well, Kenny Galladay is not that elite anymore. Yeah, that would be my point. I, it's not just Devontae Adams. I bet you I could rattle off 15 X receivers that if they only could play the X, would be on the field and not missing snaps right now, despite the offense. Now, look, we've taken the good with Wink Martindale's defense right now, right? As far as guys being positionless and seeing something so unconventional. We saw McKinney and Love basically playing linebackers last week. So if we're seeing that and accepting it on defense, well, we really need to start wrapping our minds and understanding that offensively that, that things are just crazy when it comes to certain fits and certain receiver. The problem, of course, is that the defense is delivering right now and the offense isn't. So when you see Kenny Galladay only getting two snaps and you right. see the offense struggling to score touchdowns, it does stand out that, hey, this seems like a bit of a problem. Now, Paul, again, it's Thursday morning. We're co- we don't even have really a response to the Galladay comments from anybody else on the team. Uh, Julian Love was on WFA, and he even admitted that everything's a little confusing right now. If you had to put your Paul Dottino hat on right now and guess, does Kenny Galladay play more than two snaps on Monday Night Football? Oh, I would say he will play a lot more. Just based on what happened at yesterday's practice, Kenny himself said that it went well. We know what we saw during the open media portion. And, you know, I would have to believe that uh, that to this point, again, we're taping this on Thursday. He still has a few more practices to go uh, unless he does not earn those snaps and those few opportunities. I would say right now the arrow points to yes. Okay, now let's get into the game because that's what we rub our hands together. That's what we can't wait for. Clearly, the Dallas Cowboys right now, and if you care about betting odds, they still sit as an underdog. It feels like, you know, the old books are begging you to take the Dallas Cowboys, which usually fits well for a team like the Giants in this spot. Uh, I will say this. No Dak Prescott still. No Tyron Smith still. Probably no Dalton Schultz either, which is a big deal because the Giants never covered Dallas Cowboys tight ends. Right. Uh, there are going to be obviously plenty of opportunities here for the Giants to make plays, even offensively. I know Micah Parsons is great, and that's the story. But the Cowboys are not the 85 Bears of the 2000 Ravens either. There are ways to scheme around this. What, you know, maybe you get Saquon going in the screen game against there. Uh, offensively, we've seen so many struggles for two weeks, and we know how good the Cowboy defense is, only two touchdowns allowed. What is it a reasonable expectation about a change in approach that this offense, the Giants, can have? Is it simply, hey, it's Saquon time again. He didn't get his in the first half last week. He's going to take off. Or is this a game where we start spreading it around to all these receivers and we start to see Daniel Jones come alive a little bit through the air? Well, Sean, I'm going to I'm going to kind of make this really, 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 really simple. There is one huge factor, one huge matchup in this game against the Cowboys on Monday night that overrides every other matchup that you could possibly introduce during this conversation. And it has to do with what the Dallas defense does against the interior of the Giants offensive line. For sure. That particular part 
of the Giants team this past weekend against Carolina uh, did not perform nearly as well as they needed to. It was a soft spot on this team. And it happens to be the strength of the Dallas team. People talk about Parsons from the outside. I understand that. They talk about Demarcus Lawrence. I understand that. But it is Dan Quinn's defensive philosophy to pressure offenses from between the tackles. He wants to come at you from the interior of his defense to attack the interior of your offensive line. That's what he wants to do. And that right now is apparently, based off of last Sunday's game, the softest spot of the Giants' depth chart. Now, Golinski did not have as good a game as he did the first week against Tennessee. Feliciano did not have as good a game as he did against Tennessee. And I think we would both agree that the left guard, whether it's Azuto or Bredesen, did not play as well as they yeah. did against Tennessee. It's, so think it's about an unfixable it. problem right now. The left guard is an unfixable problem until Shane Lemieux comes back. All right, so here's the thing what's going to happen, Sean. Okay, you must understand the Cowboys do a ton of twists and stunts or gains. Use whatever term you want. Different football coaches use different terms. But it's all about sending guys flipping and flopping and crossing and doing all those kinds of things in their front to make your offensive line have difficulty. Well, when you're a rebuilt offensive line like the Giants and four of your five pieces are new, communication can be a big problem early in the season. And then additionally, we saw physically some of the issues they had on the interior. I'm telling you, Sean, that's the whole key to this game. If Dallas's front seven is able to attack the interior of the Giants' offensive line effectively, this will be a Cowboys game. They will dictate, they will impose their will, and they will decide what's going to happen during the four quarters on Monday night. If the Giants can find a way to work around that and minimize that damage, they've got a chance to win. It's really that simple. Nothing else needs to be said. Uh, I don't I don't disagree. That's the whole key to the Giants scoring points. But I'm going to flip this around. Cowboys are still going to need to score points in this game as well. And by the way, that's why Daniel Jones, again, not turning the ball over is going to be so key. Don't give short fields. Don't give the Dallas defense seven points, something like that. On the flip side here, this is still Cooper Rush. This is a Cowboys offense that I know Tyler Smith's played well, but overall that offensive line is very, very much up in the air and dicey as well. And we expect, I know Leonard Williams is going to be out, and that's a major issue. We expect the arrival of Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau, two nice chess pieces that Wink Martindale hasn't had. We expect, we would think, a Dory Jackson to follow C.D. Lamb around the field. And if Michael Gallup is able to play, who knows what he looks like coming off the injury he's had. I have a hard time, and I can't believe we're here in week three talking about this because I had low expectations for the giant defense. I have a hard time thinking that Dallas gets north of 17 points in this game. I really have a hard time envisioning that. And I know asking a lot for Kayvon Thibodeau in his debut would be, you know, don't just expect everything. A lot of these big pass rushers take a little bit to get going. But I think that this is a situation here where Wink Martindale is going to confuse the heck out of Cooper Rush, and he has two big pass rushers to help do that. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, I do think the arrow's pointing towards Old Jolari and Thibodeau to play. That I would agree with. Uh, I'm not so sure about Leonard Williams. He has never missed a game. He wants to play. It'll be a game-time decision, in my opinion. 
and it'll be up to the doctors whether or not they think he can do himself some harm. I know, I know, I know it's okay to say I, I, I he's know. out. Tatino, I know, I know, Paul. I'm calling you Tatino, Paul. I know, but it's still. I don't want to see Leonard Williams miss a game. It's still a sprained MCL, and I know they're all not the same. I, I would not with this. You got to think big picture here. I would not rush him back just because he's not the game. And I'm not I telling really you would. he's going to play. I'm right. simply saying I'm not going to make the assumption quite yet. Okay, and that's fair. That's fair. And he, we, he heard he was, we heard he was out for the year last year. Yeah, we heard he was out for the year last year, and he finished it out when he didn't have to, for sure. He put on an elbow brace when right. nobody thought he would play, and he finished out the season. By the way, a losing season where he had nothing to gain. Right. Right. So don't right. don't be so quick to rule out uh, Leonard Williams. That would be number one. Number two, I disagree with you. I don't believe that Adore Jackson will travel with C.D. Lamb. Okay. C.D. Lamb plays uh, all of the three wide receiver positions for the Cowboys, and Adore Jackson will not travel with him in the slot. That's not going to happen. Okay. So I my worry, he- Paul, Paul, I know that, but my worry about that, and I know you don't want to play Darnay Holmes on the outside and all of that. By the way, are we? Are we? Is Aaron Robinson out? I haven't even seen anything on this. Aaron, Aaron Robinson, I would highly doubt plays. I don't okay. think he has fully recovered from the procedure for the appendix. Okay, so here, here, let me play Dallas offensive mind for a second. If I know that, right, and I know that Adoree doesn't really play the slot, the re, uh, again, Wink Martindale could do whatever he wants here. Wouldn't you, if you were Dallas, line up CeeDee Lamb in the slot as much as humanly possible then and just keep going at Darnay Holmes? To me, that's well, a recipe to win a game. I think you you certainly mix it in there, but here's the problem. And and I, I know I know your your logic on this, but the other part to this is, well, if he's in the slot, now you gotta have two guys on the boundaries. And are you really necessarily better if Lamb's in the slot? And if the guys on the boundaries you don't think can win their their routes on the boundaries? You know, you have to yeah. pay. You know, Rob from Peter to play to pay Paul. Now, he's not going to beat Darnay Holmes on every single snap that he lines up opposite him in the slot. He'll win his share. There's no doubt. He will. But there's going to be times when he doesn't. And now if he doesn't and you don't trust your boundary guys to do what they need to do, well, then that's counterproductive, especially if the Giants have Ojolari or Thibodeau breathing down Cooper Rush's face mask. Paul, I'll bet you a pint of alkaline water right now. If C.D. Lamb's in the end zone, it's coming because he was in the slot against Darnay Holmes in this game. I'm telling you right now. Well, that, that, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Darnay Holmes has been up right. and down. He's been inconsistent. Yeah. That worries so, me. So he, he will see his chances in the slot. There's no question about that. But will he be in there primarily? I don't think so. And, and, by, and the other thing now, is, too, I think Wick is more likely to play straight up than I think he is to, to travel him. And he's certainly not going to travel Jackson in the slot. I don't well, see that happen. There's two follow-up notes to that. Number one, me assuming that Mike McCarthy backing Kellen Moore with anything smart is a very out-there assumption because Mike McCarthy has messed up coaching numerous times with this Cowboy team. Number two, I, I guess, to me, us predicting what Wink Martindale's actually going to do, knowing that he's done two completely different game plans through two weeks, is probably us just chasing our tail as well because not necessarily because I've told you for weeks what he was going to do and he did it. All right, boy. So we're learning real quick. Paul loves a good pat on the back on a game preview as we go as we look ahead. Wink, Wink and I have a lot in common. Let's put it that way. See, here's the trick, Sean. If you're the Giants' defense, you got to worry about Cowboys' run game for sure because yeah. Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott can run the ball. They still do have. A, a big offensive line, and you would want to believe 
that Cooper Rush is 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 has a, a one hit wonder last week, right? I know he had a game last year. I get all that, but right. you don't want to put the game in his hands. So you're going to be thinking if you're Wink, you're thinking the Cowboys are probably going to want to do more running than they yeah. are going to open it up in the passing game, which then means right. You probably don't want to play the extra DB, and you're probably also going to want to have a lot of Jaheed Ward yeah. to try to be big and solid and strong and powerful up front to shut down the run game. Oh, I, I think you get a lot of Ward on the sa- at, on the field at the same time as Aziz and, and Thibodeau in this Okay, game. well, now that's, that's, now that's the tricky part. Now, how do you deploy them? Now, we have seen during the course of, of, uh, of the open practices during training camp and so forth that Wink isn't afraid to move them around. So right. you may be flopping them on end to end. You may even have Ward on the outside and Thibodeau inside. You right. might even see that. A little Justin Tuck that, havoc. Absolutely. I'm that, telling you. So, so completely it, it, Wink is going to be playing a lot of games here. And I know in, in, in where he believes there's going to be run situations, he's going to get Ward on the field a lot. Now, at the same time, Pollard also has really good acceleration and speed and can be used out of the backfield. So you've also got to be concerned about the fact that if you've got those linebackers on the field, now you've got fewer defensive backs. And now does Pollard try to test the Giants backers in the passing game? So it's it, this is a real, real puzzler. Wink is going to have to, on possession by possession, and maybe even snap to snap, figure out his specific substitution patterns based on what he thinks Dallas is going to try to accomplish. This is going to be a real chess match on Monday night. I'm looking forward to it. And Paul, as always, with our game previews, we're going to do a little, you know, the reality of who the most important giant player is, plus a fantasy pick that might surprise or not surprise. And, of course, our game prediction. For me, I'll, I'll start it off, Paul. Uh, the reality is I think the Giants are going to need a better game out of Saquon Barkley than they got in Week 2. And if that in, doesn't even matter rushes, I really feel like the screen game can be used to the Giants' advantage, catching Micah Parsons off-kilter a little bit. I could see Saquon having plenty of catches, getting them down the field. And if I'm going to play the fantasy game a little bit, hey, Chris Myernick in Week 1, Daniel Bellinger in Week 2, give me Tanner Hudson to score a touchdown for the Giants here in Week 3 to complete the who the heck's getting the ball next tight end. He had a couple nice plays last week. I see him in the end zone this week. Give me Hudson as my fantasy Giants sleeper this week. Uh, you know, it's funny you pick Hudson because uh, on the uh, MSG Giants uh, television show that I was a part of this week, I brought out a historic stat. Uh, this season is only the second time in the history of the Giants franchise that two different tight ends have caught a touchdown pass in the first two games of the year. Wow. And I won't even I won't even ask you about the only other time it happened, but it was back in 2014, Daniel Fells and Larry Donnell. Is that right? The Larry Donnell era makes an appearance. Okay. Indeed. Indeed. So if you are to get a Hudson to catch a touchdown pass this week, that would be three different Giants tight ends in the first three games. I have not done the research on that yet, but I guarantee you that's probably going to be the only time in franchise history. Now, Paul, I'm going to catch you a little bit on your on your little trivia. I know. Here. You're going to tell me Myrick is a fullback. No, no, he's a tight end right. Paul read it. Paul read the play. Maybe he should be playing on Wink Martindale's defense. He knew where I was going. He was a tight end on the play, and that's what he is. He's a tight end. The, the, okay. the, the PR roster says he's fullback. That's a bunch of malarkey. 
All right, Paul, what do you got All right. for fantasy reality? Uh, in terms of what you said earlier, the fantasy pick, I honestly do believe that uh, Saquon Barkley, and I know that's, that's the chalk, but the truth of the matter is Barkley has to have a big game. The screen game is huge. You are absolutely right. Also, the misdirection and the counters can be very critical. The bottom line is the Giants need to find a way to overcome that mismatch that we talked about about 10 minutes ago. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you have established a run game or or using the misdirections with the screens that's going to allow you to angle and pick off those, those Dallas defenders so that you can spring Barkley and get him into space. Right. Because Dallas's defense is quick. They do fly to the ball. And if you just run regular standard power running plays against them, as the Giants have had to do in the last several years, you'll see how quickly the running game gets clogged up. And then Daniel Jones is going to be forced to drop back 35 to 40 times. And the Cowboys will send the heat and the Giants will be in a big pickle. I like it. I like it. Okay. Um, so that was both fantasy and reality. You got Saquon all over the place. Is that where we're going? I, I think they really have to. He needs yeah. to play all out this week. It's a, it's a big game for him. All right. Game predictions. Giants on all books favored by three and a half, two and a half in some places. A very small over under number 39 and a half. I picked the Giants to lose last week. Paul picked the Giants to win. He was right. I was a big loser. I guess I will start this one off, Paul. I think the Giants do win on Monday Night Football, and I think they win by a score of about 20 to 17. I think the defense is excellent versus Cooper Rush. And how about this for a moment? I think that the Giants are actually going to be trailing this game 17-13 and won't need a field goal to win, and they win late in the final two minutes with Daniel Jones finding Tanner Hudson for that game-winning touchdown, and it's Jones who has to throw one in and silences a little bit of the critics with some late-game heroics and leading the Giants in a game-winning touchdown drive, not field goal drive, a thrilling Monday night victory, 20-17 to 17 for our G-men to get the 3-0. Uh, will your family still be sleeping if that scenario occurs? No, 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 no. No, they will not. <laughs> I, I actually believe that the Giants' defense is going to have to force Cooper Rush into a turnover and or a score for all of that matters. And, and if not, they're going to have to tilt the field. I think they can do that. And because of that factor, I'll take the Giants 23 to 20. But I really think it's going to be one hell of a grind them out game. And again, the chess match, play by play, the chess match of just the player deployment. I'm telling you, Sean. I'm getting the shakes and goosebumps just thinking about looking at the pre-snap motions and formations and personnel deployment. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be something we haven't seen. Hey, all I know is this. Last year it was the Chiefs and Bucks. How many of these freaking Monday night games, Paul, have we had to watch? You have to be at where you're going, man, we're playing this team on Monday night. How bad are we going to lose? And that's not the same feel. It's not the same feel at 2-0. So I'm looking forward. Dun, 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 dun. A little Monday night football with some hope in the Giants air. Uh, Paul, you can follow you on Twitter. At Giants WFAN. And with, with, with any magical luck, I'd love to bring back Gift, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> you can follow me at Mirage CBS. Enjoy the whiteout at MetLife Monday night, everyone. Thanks for taking one giant step with us. <laughs>